0: Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Hey, guys, it's Judy. Hey, it's Sana. And we are back with part two of making of Excalibur as we deep dive into how comics get made. We are joined
1: by Annalise Bissa, assistant editor on Excalibur. And we also have Eric Arseniega, the colorist on Excalibur. Plus, we've got CB again.
2: Hi! It's so much fun the first time. I just had to come back, drop some more knowledge about Comics 101.
1: <laughs> I know. Thanks for spending so much time with us. I know you have a very busy job.
2: You know, always make time for the women of Marvel. That's
1: Aww. right. Right answer. I like it. <laughs> so, CB, as you know, we're talking about making comic books, the magic behind it all. And this week in part two of the comic book making process, it's all about putting the finishing touches of making a comic book. This is when everything comes together and we're seeing the reality of a comic book and what it looks like. And what I think is interesting and why I wanted to talk to you in particular is because you have a background in talent management. You've recruited so many of our great artists. So when you're thinking about the visuals of a comic book, what are you guys looking for and what are you looking for for this book in particular?
2: You know, when you're talking about the production of a comic book and you have the script, you've got the writer, and you're really looking to boil down what's going to make the book visually exciting, we're looking for basically two things. First is style, and then is storytelling. So, you know, every artist has their own style, and what's important at Marvel is we've always been at the forefront of hiring the best artists out there with the most unique style. There is no house style at Marvel. We've been cutting edge from back in the days when, you know, Kirby and Wally Wood and John Romita Sr., and they started building the Marvel Universe. Steve Ditko, I mean... No one else drew like him back at that time. And Marvels to this day, has lived up to that history of hiring unique artists. Uh, So style is important. But more important is the ability of storytelling. It's the ability to move the characters from panel to panel and page to page seamlessly. So a reader can kind of follow the action through just the artwork. When I review portfolios, no matter where I am in the world, that's what's most important. Because it doesn't matter who you are or where you live or what language you speak. Comics is the universal language that we're looking for. And if I can look at your portfolio without understanding the language and the words and the balloons and know what happened in your story, then you are probably good enough to be a professional comic book artist.
1: What does it take to be the right kind of colorist? Like, what are you looking for? Because when you see, obviously, pencils and inks, and then you see the colors on a page, it totally changes the entire storytelling experience. Like, what is the subtlety and nuance of storytelling through the colorist lens And then how is it amplified through what a letterer does?
2: Yeah, you know, it's amazing because, you know, normally the names that go on the covers of the books or the writer or the artist, sometimes the inker, now the colorist gets credited. But the people on this show, you know, the assistant editor, Annalise, the colorist, Eric, and then you got the the letterer, Corey, are three of the most important people in the comic book process that oftentimes get overlooked, but their efforts should never be disregarded. Um, You know, the colorist is a person that has to come in and take those pages, take the black and white ink and bring it to life. You know, you're taking it from almost... 2D to 3D with the way that colors are done on computers these days. It's about making sure the characters' costumes are right and you know filling in the, the lines, so to speak, but it's so much more. It's about rendering the characters, rendering the textures, bringing a mood you know with the lighting. The light sourcing is so important. Where's light coming from? Is it natural light? Is it fluorescent light? Is it inside? Is it outside? Is it day? Is it night? There's so many choices that people don't realize that go into coloring uh, a comic book, and they're so integral. Choosing the palette and choosing the style and how working with the writer, with the editor, and with the the artist to make sure that they're bringing life and enhancing that line work to make it look as beautiful as possible.
1: That was like one of my favorite parts of being an editor was choosing the colorist and choosing the letter and the font style. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> there's like so there's so much like the subtlest of changes can make such a difference with just the mood and like the tone of the entire story.
2: And, you know, especially for this new line of X-Men books that Jonathan's established with the Dawn of X and all these writers like Teenie are bringing to life. There's a lettering style, too, that's very particular that people may not realize. It's very unique. And you bring in a guy like Corey, who's had decades of experience lettering comics, was so important because not only does he using the fonts, but he's able to bring his style in terms of, you know, choosing the, the balloons, working on the flow of the dialogue, you know, making sure that none of the art is covered. The letter has an integral job not only putting the words in the mouths of the characters, but also the flow of the story because you have to really follow the balloons just like you follow the characters. And you put balloons in weird places, that's going to completely throw the reading experience. So, you know, never overlook uh, the job of what the letterer does.
0: And I think this book is great at showing the diversity of the locations that our creators are around the world, from the Carolinas to the Midwest to New York City to Canada. All these different creators can work all together with the editors in New York City to get a book done in a pretty short amount of time.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, and when I was in talent management and when I was traveling around the world looking for artists, that was one of the things I had to make clear to them. They're like, oh, we'd love to work at Marvel, but we can't move to New York. I'm like, no, you don't have to move to New York. Modern day technology, as long as you have, you know, an an internet connection, or a FedEx account, we can make the job happen for you. You can draw for Marvel, you can ink for Marvel, you can color for Marvel, you can letter for Marvel, no matter where you live, because we're all just so connected now. Uh, the world has gotten so much smaller that, you know, let the editor take care of the job. All you got to do is focus on your job, no matter where you live. And it's made the process so much easier, uh, time difference being really the only hurdle, depending on, you know, some of the international artists.
0: So let's talk finishing touches with Annalise and Eric.
1: We're here with Annalise Bissa, Assistant Editor on Excalibur. Hello. And we also have Eric Arseniega, the colorist on Excalibur.
3: Hello. What's up?
0: This is kind of amazing. We are sitting in a New York City studio and you're in Mexico. And we're going to talk about how comics we made. I mean, this is kind of phenomenal. Yeah, I'm very
1: excited. As you guys know, I started out as an editor and... I think it's so important for folks to know just the art of making comics and all of the great people involved and the talent it takes to put together one single issue and tell a story that connects with so many different kinds of people. So first of all, Annalise, this is an important question I have for
4: you. What does an assistant editor do? I mean, the short answer is like a lot of emails <laughs> and just being good at getting emails and responding to them in a, you know, timely fashion and making sure that You know, because like you alluded to, Eric's in Mexico and Marcus is in Toronto. Tini is down south and Jordan and I are here in New York. You know, the team's all over the place. That's not even the most widely distributed that a team is. You have a lot of people who are pretty far afield and making sure that everyone is communicated to. Everyone feels like part of the team. You know, knows what's happening, where they are in the schedule. It's a lot of coordination and making sure that people are... Talking to each other that, you know, everybody knows what's going on. And then other things like, you know, actually reading scripts and giving notes on them, giving notes on the art and making it, you know, a, a good piece of, you know, work for the readers. So so basically it's like you keep all of the
1: trains moving and moving on time. I try. I have, yeah. a, I have a
4: bunch of spreadsheets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> spreadsheets <laughs> for the win. So, Eric. It's now you're up to the plate. The writing is done. The art is all done. Marcus has finished the art and it's sent to you. What is the next step for you?
3: My process is pretty straightforward. I got the pages from Annalise, and I have some people that help me with the flats, the uh, flatters.
4: A flatter goes through an inked page and selects all of the different elements and delineates them so the colorist can go in and work their magic on colors and lighting and rendering all the different pieces?
3: Generally, they work overnight. So they work uh, while I'm sleeping. (laughs) And in the morning, I have a lot of pages ready to, to start working on them.
1: So what is, in terms of you getting into the story and wanting to pick a particular visual style, are you reading the script first? What's your, what's your process to dive into the story itself?
3: Uh, first of all, I uh, take a look at the pages, at the art. Then I uh, sort of visualize what I want in the page. Uh, then I go to the script and, and read a little about the, the mood, uh, the time of the day, some sort of thing like that. Then I dive into the page, uh, start from the background to lay down all the lighting, uh, the mood, all of that, and then the the characters at the end, so I can put it all together.
1: How do you usually decide what the mood is? Because I I think you know the great thing about using colors is that you always you tell story through color. Not many people realize that. Like sometimes a flash of yellow says one thing, or red. It says another thing. I mean, do you have a, a certain approach in terms of deciding what colors you like to play with when we're trying to relay a certain sense of mood? Or is it just dependent on, on the story that you have in front of you?
3: Uh, it depends a lot of uh, on the mood I want to convey. Sometimes I, uh, in the script, uh, there's a lot of information I can use. But sometimes the lines tell the story so good that I don't need to dive into the script a lot. If the character, for example, uh, looks like suspicious, I go for the purples, uh, something more dark. If he's happy, I go to bright colors. Uh, everything depends. Can be the the script or can be the, the the actual drawings.
0: What sort of drew you to being a colorist?
3: Uh, it was like some accident, happy accident, I guess. Uh, I. I used to to be a full artist. I did concept art for games or stuff like that. Then some people uh, started asking me to color his drawings. And little by little, I started to just do colors over someone else's lines. And then I started doing comics and and very independent uh, publishers. And some years later, I ended up in Marvel.
1: How long does it take you to color one page? Be honest. and ah, Annalise will close her ears. <laughs> uh,
3: it depends, depends. Uh, Excalibur, two to four hours, more or less. Uh, but it depends. For one page. For one page. But it depends on the deadline. If the deadline is, is close, maybe one hour page, something like that.
4: Wow. So this is actually a question that I don't have the answer to and I now have the opportunity to ask, which is, does it take longer to do a page that has, because it's Excalibur, right? So they're doing all the mutant magic and there are all the Krakoan gates that have the glow. And they, some, <laughs> yeah. in issue one, there's like ghosts and all this kind of stuff. Does that take a lot more time than, you know, a page of just people talking in natural lighting? Or does that make it easier because everything's just glowing?
3: it's more difficult. Uh, You have to make everything get affected by the lights, by the powers, by the magic, and it adds up a little more time.
4: That makes sense, because there is a lot of glowing stuff. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's it's one of the books. I take more time in each page.
0: (laughs) So this is a question for you, Annalise. Eric finishes a page and he sends it to you, sort of, what's the next step? Yeah, so
4: usually what I do is I go through all of the colors simultaneously, which is nice because then you get to feel what the whole book will read as. And I go through and just check over everything and make sure everything is communicating. So are all the colors at the baseline, you know, Correct. And sometimes there are just like little things. One of the things that is kind of tough about Excalibur is we have all these beautiful costumes, like Betsy's new Captain Britain costume, which I love. But it has like a red pinstripe down the side of the leg. And there's a very specific like stripe pattern to the way the Captain Britain armor works. And her helmet is like, you know, a flag. And so I just go through and make sure that all of that stuff is quote unquote correct. And then I send over... My thoughts to Teeny and Marcus and Jordan. And usually Marcus has better notes than I do because he's a trained artist. Mm-hmm. And so he can say things that are more along the lines of like overall, in this scene, you know, I was envisioning the light being like this. And so I collect his notes, and Teeny sometimes also has notes on, oh, and I was imagining it, I thought maybe this would pop more, or something like that. I put it all together. And I send them back over to Eric and usually then we're like pretty much ready to go.
1: Eric, what's the most annoying thing when, during the whole process? It doesn't have to be for this. Well, like what's? I feel like it's probably the red piping on the side. But like, what's the most annoying thing when you get a page and you're like, oh my god?
3: In in Excalibur, especially uh, the flowers, <laughs> the flowers, are, <laughs> the flowers. Are really a lot of flowers. Yeah, a lot of flowers, and sometimes uh, the flowers don't separate them correctly, and I have to be one mm. by one petals, uh, flowers little things like the... That does sound like such a pain.
1: (laughs) I will say, like, the colorists are like the secret superstars of the book because one outside of them bringing everything and all the elements together, it's also... You are hustling. And because you're the last line of defense, basically, you guys often are either, like, not sleeping, trying to get a book out and just trying to make creative decisions as quickly as possible. It's a lot of work. And we appreciate it. We appreciate everything that you do. Trust me. As a former editor, yes. greatly appreciate it.
4: Well, and, and that was something that I was told, like, maybe my first day, you know, I was still trying to figure out, like, what folders I was supposed to be opening. And I got, like, sat down. And they were like, okay you need to be nice to your colorist and your letterer because they are always the people who end up at the end (laughs) of the process after, you know, the writer needed another day to go on, like, you know a long walk and consider what the dialogue was supposed to sound like and you know the artist needed to you know stretch their hand or something and so you know all the all the time gets eaten up and eaten up and then at the end you're like okay can you like save us can, <laughs> can you color really fast and can you letter really fast please just this one time i promise <laughs> you know and so you know you're nice to everybody you want to work well with everybody but your color artists and your letterers are the people who will save you yeah and you you got to be you know extra nice
1: <laughs> yeah well well speaking of the letter so Corey Pettit is your letter I've worked with him he's great he gets also gets things done as quickly as possible since he's not here why don't you talk a bit about that process like what what is lettering for people who don't understand it because people often call it like the bubbles and but let's talk about the real terminology
4: yeah <laughs> um, Balloons. 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 Yes, <laughs> word balloons. Word balloons. Uh, so we send the pages either as inks or as colors, depending on where we are in the process, uh, over to the letterer. Those pages are formatted in a you know, specific size so that they're all standard across all of our books. And we send those over. We send them with a script. And hopefully we have the opportunity to have the writer go back in with all of the completed art do a little bit of tweaking on the script before it even gets to the letterer, send it over to the letterer, and they go in, they put in all the words, all the usually all of the sound effects, unless they've been drawn in by hand, and they just make everybody talk, and they make the book look like a comic book. I think it's something that people don't think about is, you know— the font is a choice. The size of the font is a choice. You know, the the balloon colors, the caption colors, when something is a caption versus a balloon, like that's all the stuff that maybe your brain doesn't register when you're reading. And hopefully it doesn't register. Hopefully you're just immersed in the comic and you're reading it, you're loving it. But when the lettering doesn't work, you do notice it. And our letterers do an amazing job of making all those choices and working with us to make sure that the book is as good as it possibly can be.
1: It's my favorite part of the process is just picking the colorist and p- and picking the font, which is like, this is totally a nerd thing for me. <laughs> but like, I just love it. Like just pairing them together, like a colorist and an artist together and getting like the most out of their collective vision is super fun. But then when the font comes around, like I'm so annoying. Like I used to have Corey give me like five options. I'm like, I need to know... It looks different, it feels different, you know, it's like it a whole and you don't realize how much font and the balloon size and the balloon type affect the the kind of story and, and direction of the entire series. I genuinely like is it uppercase, you know what I mean? Or
4: like uppercase and lowercase? These are the questions we have, guys. <laughs> well and we're in, you know, the the Jonathan Hickman X-Men world oh, right now. So there are, you know, specifications for the font, of course. There's specifications for everything, but uh, you know, so we're in a mixed case font world, which is the first book that I've ever done that wasn't all uppercase. And the part about it that's kind of crazy is you have so many more opportunities for mistakes when you introduce mixed case because... There was a whole scene in a in a courtroom in one of the books I was working on last week. And we uppercased and then lowercased every use of, like, your honor, judge, counselor, because there was, like, a dispute about whether or not those things should be capitalized. And I was like, I feel so bad for the letterer. So you mentioned
0: Jonathan Hickman. Yes. So <laughs> we are in the Dawn of X era. You know, um, House of X and Powers of Ten kind of really changed the way the X-Men – um, are being read by fans right now. So, Eric, you know what? What was sort of your research process for coming on a book like Excalibur, where you know it was following House of X and Powers of Ten? Did you sort of dive into those books before you started coloring this one?
3: Yes, yes, I did. Uh, Marta Gracia is a friend of mine, so we share a lot of art together. So, yeah, I, ha- I had a lot of talk with him mostly the the big notes for keeping it consistent was uh, Krakoa, the the island I think the the flowers the the flora everything should be some style uh, very colorful uh, that was the main thing
0: yeah I mean those flowers man I remember <laughs> when I first saw the first art at c2e2 and they showed the flowers and I was like that's clearly gonna be a connection and least Every
1: single time I talk about how we make comics, the biggest question is, like, how long
4: does this all take? <laughs> so from start to finish, how long does it all come together? That question is really, really hard to answer. I think it's why sometimes, like, how do you make a comic? Or, like, what does a comic book editor do is a hard question because every project is so different and every book. So you can't say, like, oh, it always works this way, right? Um, probably... Like, the fastest you could put it together would be a writer puts together a script in, like, a week with revisions, probably. A really fast artist can maybe get a book done in, like, three and a half weeks.
1: Whoa! I'm
4: talking, like, you know, page a day, super fast. That is,
1: like, us killing the artist.
4: (laughs) Oh, 100%. I'm doing (laughs) worst-case scenario. There are
1: artists that are fast. There are. I definitely have worked with artists who, like, have done three and a half weeks.
0: That's the trick about working from home is all these artists... Basically work from home. Marcus is actually uh, unique because he works in an office with a group of artists. And it definitely, I think, makes for an atmosphere that, like, they come in at their time and they leave at their time and they encourage each other to get it done. But that's an anomaly. Usually artists are, like, working in their living room, their apartment, by themselves. Well, it's it's hard because
4: it's creative. So at the end of the day, you know, the downtime is part of the process you know sometimes you have to turn your brain off and let things percolate you know, people talk about shower thoughts or like you know things coming to you and you're not expecting them and especially with artists who are like holding like a stylus all day you know or like a pen or a pencil yeah. you, know, like, you you physically can't just like hold something for that long without needing a break <laughs> yeah. and so to finish the yes what's long... the math now we got I, I think I was at like four and a half weeks I mean I'm just going to say generalizing wildly like five weeks would probably be like absolute minimum like we are cranking but ideally probably somewhere more in the like couple months two or three months kind of realm is where you are comfortable.
0: You pointed out a good point of another job that you do. I think the artists sort of lightly rely on you to be like, okay, you have too much on your plate. Because most artists are going to be like, I I can get it done. I can do it. I can do it. And a lot of times they think that they can get it done in, in so much time, but really they don't. And you step in and you're like, hey... I want you to be able to do next week's book. So I'm going to take page four, five and six and we'll, we'll send it to a different artist to finish it. And, and that's actually an important part that I think a lot of people don't quite realize what editors do. You're almost their therapist.
4: I try. And that's something that I never want to like overstate because there are some people who they're going to draw their pages. They're going to turn them into you. They're just like, you know what, I'm just going to get it done. I don't need a lot of back and forth. But at the same time, Like, the editorial position does require you to be, like, a people person and to be able to make those considerations of, I've worked with this person enough to know that when they say I can do three pages in a night, they mean it, you know, versus I know this person and they think they can do three pages in a night, but they can't and I shouldn't ask them to because it's not good for them, it's not good for the book, you know, just overall – trying to make those calls and making those calls with respect for the fact that like this is everybody's livelihood, right? And when you take pages away from somebody, you know, even if it's better for the book, if somebody, you know, had in their budget, you could take those pages away from them. That's, you know, money out of somebody's pocket. And we try really, really hard to be, you know, at the end of the day, to be people talking to other people and saying, you know, what can you do? How can we help you? And how can we, like, make this work for everybody involved without just being like, I am the editor, I do what I want, I will take your pages. Okay, last question. What would you guys say
1: is your favorite part of the series? Not necessarily in terms of what you've um, contributed to it, but, like, what have you really been enjoying about Excalibur? And I'll throw it to you, Eric, first.
3: The best part for me is having a lot of time to work on it. Uh, usually, <laughs> usually the books uh, are so fast that I don't even enjoy some of them. Uh, so everything is going so fast. In Excalibur, everything is, is calm. Everything is, just feels right. That's my, my, the best part for me. <laughs>
4: that, that's so rare. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really happy we're talking about this book and not one of my like 10 books that are on fire right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Annalise? Um, I like all of it, which is a total cop out, because there's like an excitement of a different kind anytime you get like every step of the way. The book looks totally different in my head. Like, you know, when you read the script, you imagine what's gonna happen. And I I have a hard time actually visualizing what a page of comics will look like when I just read a script, I tend to picture it more like, if it were a movie, how it would look. So when I see like, the inked pages, that's always kind of a surprise to me. And then seeing the colors, like, all of a sudden it's sort of alive in front of you. So I I have a really hard time saying what my favorite part is. Just because, like, it's, it's all great and everybody's doing a great job. That's a total cop-out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love everything and everyone.
4: <laughs> it's true, unfortunately.
1: I will say having enough time to finish the series and having it done in a calm environment is, like, I mean that's incredible. That never happens. So, congratulations for actually making things run on time, guys.
0: We're, we're doing our best. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Thank you. And and there you have it. That's that's easy, right? That's just how a comic book comes together. It's just just a couple months of of labor, of hard labor. And,
4: and the best part is you're only working on one comic at a time, so you never yeah. get confused. Yeah. Or... Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right now we're we've taken Annalise away from probably her ten other books that are likely on fire. And Eric is probably like, I need to go get to some pages immediately. But guys, thank you so much for your time and for your insight and educating people on the art form of making comics and the great talent that you guys contribute to it.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: So, CB, how do you feel as Editor-in-Chief also just kind of seeing everything come together it's out now for the world to experience what's that like for you
2: you know I know every secret that goes into the book because I always say I read everything in the different stages but I still pick up every book every week as a final and I read it and I find something new to experience and it's just a joy having that final printed comic in your hand and there is nothing that I like more than doing the job that I do now because we are creating entertainment in the footsteps of those who have gone before us and it's amazing
1: do you read the reviews
2: Ah, uh, sometimes. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: that's fair. That's a that's a wise answer. So, also guys, if you are reading Excalibur, fantastic. Don't forget that it is part of a big event called House of X and Powers of 10, um which has spun out into a new series called Dawn of X. It is Fantastic. Highly recommend and share it with everyone that likes comics or just likes good stories, right?
2: Yeah, this is one for the ages. This is one that people are never going to forget. It's one of those momentous Marvel moments.
1: Absolutely. It's truly redefined the X-Men and the X-Family franchise.
0: And there's tons more Xbox coming out in 2020, so make sure you guys stay tuned. Issue number two for Excalibur is on sale November 20th. We produce, what, anywhere from like 60 to 80 comics a month. So think about the process we just talked about.
2: A lot of work, a lot of comics, a lot of characters. (laughs) Yes. A
0: lot of tired editors. Yep.
1: (laughs) So I hope you guys really appreciate this art form for what it is. And, you know, maybe just... Try to make a comic book yourself. We highly encourage it. It is a lot of work, but it's really gratifying when it's all done.
2: The only boundaries to making a comic are the limits of your own imagination.
0: Ah, shocks. Mm, <laughs> and thanks again to Annalise, Eric, Jordan, Teeny, and Marcus for joining us in the last two episodes. We will be back for our next episode with our holiday gift guide, which I'm really excited about because we're gonna talk about stuff that we want to buy. Presents. Presents. My entire list is Captain Marvel. Shocking. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But make sure you tune in for that again. Make sure you guys are following our Instagram at the Woman of Marvel. And where can people find you?
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter at at CB Cebulski.
0: I think that's it for us this week. I think we should go. I it's think time. I think we should leave yeah we should leave this room It's fine. <laughs> this is Marvel your universe. This episode of The Women of Marvel was produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg and hosted by myself, Judy Stevens, and Sana Amanat. Our audio development manager is Karen Heffa, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.